Amen. Thank you, Brother Tom. Good morning. We're so glad to have all of you here with us this morning. It's a very special blessing to have our visitors. Thank you so much for being here. You're our honored guest and special to us. And uh, we want you to know you're always welcome. And uh, we're so thankful to have you. And it's good to see always our, our members. And uh, we are so thankful to have our church family here at the Bullard Church of Christ. So thankful to have those joining us online. And uh, we appreciate all of you being here uh, online with us each and every week. And we want you to know, those of you online, that we're here for you. So reach out to us if there's any way we can serve you. We're continuing our series in the book of Philippians. And we're going to work our way through this letter that Paul wrote to this church. They were very close to each other. They loved each other very much. Paul is in prison for his faith right now. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. And he's writing some letters to different churches, one of them being the Philippian Christians, to encourage them to have joy in Jesus, to encourage them to hold on to their faith. And he's sitting in prison. The last place you're going to have joy in your life, yet that's what he's got. And he's encouraging them to have joy, to not be discouraged by his situation, but to encourage them in their situation. And we, we left chapter 1, verse 18 last week with, uh, it, it ends with him saying that he will rejoice, and then he repeats it again, but he says that he's got some rivals out there that are taking advantage of the opportunity that he's in prison to elevate their status. For whatever reason, they don't care too much for Paul, and so they're giving him trouble, and he doesn't say that anything's wrong with what they're teaching and preaching, but their motivation is wrong. But he says, I don't have time for that. And so he says, I'm going to continue on. And I just rejoice that the gospel is preached. And then at the very end of verse number 18, he repeats himself and says, yes, and I will rejoice. And then he begins his next thought. And so look with me there at verses 19 through 20. And we'll see why he is rejoicing. He repeats it and goes into a different thought. And he says in verse 19, uh, 18, yes, I will rejoice. Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Look at verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not be at all ashamed, but will have full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul doesn't know if he's going to be put to death in prison. He doesn't know if he's going to make it through this, this, this uh, prison sentence. He doesn't know if he's going to uh, be put to death or be released to be with him again and continue his ministry. But he says, I know your prayers are helping work out my deliverance. And so what he means there and what he's going to uh, talk about is that deliverance, whether it be I'm delivered from prison physically and I continue my time here on earth, or I'm delivered from this time on earth and I get to be with God. And so he says, but what's most important is that he wants Christ to be honored in his body. I think that's a really important point that he makes that in today's times and every time throughout uh, the, our history, we need to hear 
that message that Paul said, I want to honor God with my body. Because we can look around and quickly find a lot of ways people are not honoring God with their bodies. They're, they're, they're doing what they want to do, how they feel, what makes them feel good now, even if it doesn't make them feel good and satisfied later. But it, it, there's, there's almost no thought of anything regarding honoring God with our bodies. And, and the Christian is called, the Christ follower is called to honor God with their body. What a, what a commitment that he makes and an example of devotion to Christ for us. And he says, I want to honor God with my body, whether I'm alive or dead, my whole service, my whole life, what I do with my body, everything about me, I want it to glorify God. Paul said in Romans, in that letter, in Romans 6, 12 through 13, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from life to death, from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. He said, honor God with your body. Act like you've been bought with a price, and you've been brought from death to life. And then in verse 21, he gets to this wonderful, powerful statement. It's a unique statement. And in verse 21, he says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So we might call this a definition of Christianity. This defines really what Christianity is. If I'm going to be alive, it means Christ. He's saying my life is summed up, wrapped up, defined by, uh, encapsulated by, described by everything about my life is Christ. My motivation, my goals, my, my will, my, my, my plans, my purpose, my destiny, whatever you want to say. He said, for me to be alive is Christ. And that's how certainly God would have us to live. He's saying that living is Christ. Life means Christ. Life, physical and spiritual, is summed up in Christ. It's occupied by Christ. He views his time on earth as totally determined by and controlled by serving Christ, living for him, doing his will. Now, that's not, that doesn't really probably describe our lives, even though we're trying. And that's, how, that's the example we have in Paul is, is he did that. And, of course, he wasn't perfect. He, he sinned as well. He called himself the chief of sinners. Uh, but but uh, he shows us an example of devotion to God that, you know what, you can live a devoted life to God. You can honor God with your body. You don't have to do what the culture says and everything the world says is okay. And just because, and even, even just because something might be legal, doesn't make it right. That, it might mean the thing is right, but just because the thing is legal doesn't mean it's right. Just because everyone's doing it doesn't. What's common is normal. And when something is normal, then it seems okay. So the more common a thing is, the more normal it becomes because we're used to it. And culture, as one person has described it, is, is the soup that we swim in. If you imagine your, yourself in a giant bowl of soup, that soup, everything around you, that's culture. You live in it. You swim in it. You're in it. There's no getting out of it. And so what happens? You get used to it. You get used to being in that soup of culture. 
And he's saying, I want you to live for Christ and not just follow the crowd. Honor, your, honor God with your body. Do things with your body that honor God. Don't do things uh, with your body that don't honor God. Live a life devoted to Christ. Now, we also see this joy in Jesus that he has. Now, Paul is saying that this is what it means to live as a Christian. He can see no reason to live on this earth except to be for Christ. In Romans, again, in chapter 14, on the next slide, verses 7 through 8, Paul writes, For none of us lives to himself. Oh, sorry, back up. I didn't know you moved it. Thank you. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Do you see how Paul spelled that out for us? No matter what your situation is, it's to and for the Lord. Then in 2 Corinthians 5.15, he writes, And he died for all, that those who might live no lo- might no longer live for themselves. So who do we live for? Not for yourself. That's the way of the world. That's the, the culture around us that we live in. But for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now, we'll kind of jump through a couple of these verses. Verses 20 through to 22 through 26, he continues his thought from 19 through 20. And he says he would rather go on and be with God. He'd rather just go ahead and, and, and do me in now in prison so I can go on and be with God. That's where I really want to be. Uh, he's saying, but he, he thinks it's better. He knows it's better for their sake that he stay alive and continue his ministry. So in verses 27 through 28 then, he picks back up on this thought from verse 20 while he expresses this desire for Christ to be honored in his body. Look at verses 27 through 28. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightening anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign of them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So Paul makes this interesting statement, and it's worded differently in different translations. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Some translations like the NIV will say, Let, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he's using a word in there, this idea of conduct or a, a, a manner, a life, uh, your manner, life of manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's using this word in there that, that, that is, is connected to politics. Okay? In other words, how you behave as a citizen. Is, is what he intentionally used this word to say. He's writing to Philippians who, who lived in a Roman-controlled, a Rome-controlled uh, uh, city. So they were Roman citizens wherever they went. So he's, he's, he's playing off of that concept of being a Roman citizen that was taken very seriously in those times. And so these were Christians living as Roman citizens... And he's saying, live, in a, live a life worthy of the, uh, of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. But he's using this word that, that has to do with living as a citizen. And they would have, they would have talked about that in terms of a, a Roman citizen, being a Roman citizen, 
act like a good, be a good citizen, in other words. But what he's saying, and it repeats in 3.20, and he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And what he's telling us is we need to live like we are citizens of heaven. We need to live like we belong to heaven. They would have gotten the idea, oh yeah, be a good Roman citizen. But he's saying, no, I'm telling you, you be a good heavenly citizen because that's where your home is. Does that make sense? Live a life that shows, that lets people know where you come from, where you live. That your home is in heaven because later I said, he says, your citizenship is in heaven. And that's what he's calling us to do. Live like you, li like you belong to heaven. That's what he's telling them. So we see Paul's emphasis again then on unity. So let's look at this in verse 27. What does the church look like when it is unified? What does unity in the church look like? Well, it looks like what he said. Standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side. That's what the church is supposed to be like and look like. Now, why do we do this? For what? For the faith of the gospel. Now remember we studied in our last series because of the gospel that everything that we do as a Christian and, and, and as a church is it comes out of you know John 3.16 because of the gospel. And that, that's what he's saying there is that you live united in the church, you be united in the church, you stand firm with one spirit, one mind, striving side by side because of and for the gospel. That's what he's telling them. So we need to think about how we interact with one another, how we live together in this church community. Because that is what Paul is talking about. And he's going to address some situations among the congregation there. And he's even going to call out some people. How'd you like to be one of them that was called out? And so he's saying, look, y'all got to live together. You got you to gotta, you gotta labor side by side in this thing for the faith of the gospel. So something might not be the way I would have done it. It might be the way that somebody else would have done it or the way the elders see fit to do a thing is going to be the best way, but I would have done it different. Guess what? i got to live in this community. Does that make sense? So he's telling you, you've got to stand united together. Now then he, then, then he said, don't be afraid by your opponents, those who are against you, those who are, cause, who are causing you to suffer because that's a clear sign to them that you will be saved and they will not be saved. And what he's saying is take heart because if you're suffering as a Christian, then you praise God as Peter would say that you bear that name. And, and, and it says, no, it's a sign that you're on the road to heaven because you're suffering for your faith in the same way Paul was suffering in his faith. Look at verses 29 and 30 as we wrap up verses 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you, notice that, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Wait, God granted that to me? To not only believe in him, but to suffer for him? Oh, I don't want you to grant that to me, but he's saying that comes with the territory. Verse 30, uh, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So here we learn that, that not only is Paul suffering, but the Philippian Christians are suffering for their faith. 
And Paul is encouraging them to maintain that joy in Jesus despite their sufferings. So what does he mean when he says it's been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should suffer for his sake? They were suffering as Christians under Roman rule. And, and uh, Paul was imprisoned under that same Roman rule and all because of their faith. That goes back to Acts 16 when he refers to the suffering you know I had, which was in Philippi. This word for granted, the root word of that is grace. And Paul's saying that this is suffering for your faith is a grace that God gives you. That just doesn't sound right to us. We're not used to hearing it that way. It's granted, it's a grace given to you by God to suffer as a Christian. Now, we don't really know that, do we? To the degree that historically Christians know that. Now, we're going to have Brother Chen next week, and I'm really excited to meet him and hear some of the things he will be able to share with us. He knows what this means. He will understand this more than we can understand this. Paul and the Philippians understood this more than we can because they truly suffered, even to the point of death for their faith. And so we need to hear from them to help us grow in our faith. Now imagine, remember that Philippian jailer in Acts 16 that Paul taught and baptized? The jailer was going to kill himself and he said, stop. And so he ends up at his house, teaches him the gospel. The Philippian jailer helps take care of his wounds and then he's baptized. Imagine him sitting in that Philippian congregation as this letter is read. And he's hearing this and knowing the suffering that Paul went through when he was there with him before he was a Christian. And just all of that experience and context that they had together. I think that's a pretty neat thing to think about. So this grace, Paul was not talking about suffering in general, hunger, injustice, economic, uh, physical suffering, uh, other human forms of suffering. He was talking explicitly about suffering for your faith. That's what he's talking about. And in Acts chapter 5, Peter and the other apostles had been arrested for teaching and healing. And then the Sanhedrin and the high priest said, they, they arrested me and they said, we gave you strict orders not to teach about Jesus. And in verse 29, they, uh, Peter and the rest of the apostles said, we must obey God rather than men. The Sanhedrin were furious. And what did they do to them? Do you remember? They grabbed them. They had them flogged and then let them go and ordered them not to talk about Jesus. Verses 41 through 42 of Acts chapter 5 then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were worthy, counted worthy, to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease. They were told to cease and desist. They did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus, Christ, the Christ is Jesus. But hold up, do you know what the flogging was? It wasn't a punch in the face or a punch in the gut or one whip or one you know, one something. No, they got, they were, they were, they were stripped. They had nothing on. They were stretched out and they were whipped to a maximum of 39 times. So they did that to him and then said, now don't you talk about Jesus. And they let him go. You're not supposed to run off jumping up and down rejoicing 
that you just got flogged for your faith. And that's exactly what they did. And they totally ignored what the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, told them to do. And they kept on teaching and preaching. They were suffering for their faith. And that suffering I know we don't know today. I say thankfully, but at the same time, what would our faith be like if we did? When we see what theirs was in the first century. And it's interesting that Jesus said in the Beatitudes, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. When suffering is met by faith, it produces spiritual growth. So as we close, I want to encourage us to live like we belong to heaven. No matter what we go through in this life, no matter what we have to endure, the good and the bad, there's a lot of good. Live like we belong to heaven. I think that's Paul's plea here. If we can encourage you or help you in any way this morning, study with you, pray for you, be with you, help you in any way. Maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism. We want you to know that this church is here for you, not just now, but always. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to come forward now as we together stand and sing.